you suffer because you think you exist. Oh. I'm Nathan. I'm Austin. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the world, world of religion. religion. Okay, Austin, what's our topic for this week? Buddhism, but not Buddhism also. You're already messing with me, man. Okay. Is this a koan? Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, if you don't remember from the last week, a koan is a word puzzle that's supposed to get you to wake up and it doesn't supposed to make sense. But yeah, Buddhism and not Buddhism because yes, Buddhism, we're going to talk about Buddhism, but also nihilism in Buddhism because the way the Buddha phrases his talk about eternity and enlightenment and existence kind of can lead one and did lead some to believe that nothing is real including the teachings of buddhism yeah in a way we're gonna get to that yeah so let's start with uh let's talk about buddhism just kind of an overview yeah. for those maybe of you first who aren't we familiar should, uh, maybe first we should back up and talk a bit about the hindu background okay. from which buddhism emerged right right so uh as you may recall from our last episode if you listened in hinduism the cycle of reincarnation is called samsara and over many lives, you move through samsara according to your karma. If you have good karma, you reincarnate as a better life. Worse karma, you reincarnate as a worse life with the ultimate goal of escaping the cycle. And that's effectively salvation. In Hinduism, you become one with the universe or Brahma, Brahman, Brahman. Brahman. And, uh, and yeah, you're chilling. And then out of that environment came... Buddhism. And the Buddha also recognized this concept of samsara, but he had a more precise answer to how to escape it. Yeah, so because the Buddha was a kshatriya, uh, which is one of the classes in Hinduism, and he was really not satisfied with the karma generation because it was pretty entirely selfish and his higher classness he got disillusioned to this whole thing by seeing suffering in the world. He tried the path of the renunciant, which, as you might remember, is giving up all karma, but that was even more selfish. And his big thing was to try to end suffering. And his entire philosophy, religion, whatever you want to call it, is based around suffering and how to get rid of it. Right. And so one of the fundamental teachings of Buddhism then is what is suffering and what causes it? And that's the first noble truth. Exactly. So the Pali word for suffering is dukkha. And there are multiple types of dukkha. There is the suffering that we just think of as pain. That's called dukkha dukkha. It's as dukkha as it gets. <laughs> yeah. Except not really, because it's the, the least bad form of suffering. Right. It's actually contrary to what you might expect Things like physical pain is the most basic sort of suffering, and if there is such a thing, the most benign sort. Oh, yeah. So, suffering of pain, illness, that's dukkha dukkha. The next sort of suffering is the suffering that comes from, correct me if I'm wrong, loss. Yeah. Separation. So, this would be an example, for example, say you have a phone you really love, but then you're clumsy, you drop it, it shatters, your phone is gone. That emotional suffering you feel is the suffering of loss and separation. Yeah, it's also the suffering that's just due to change itself. 
So changing circumstances like losing a job or moving or all the pain and suffering that comes with a change in environment. And this is even more fundamental to the Buddhist metaphysics because everything is in change. And we'll talk about that when we get to the conception of the soul and the metaphysics that leads us to this conclusion that Buddhism might be nihilism. And that is, uh, for those linguists interested, that's not, it's Viparinama Dukkha, which I probably didn't pronounce right, but that's the Pali word. Yep. And then we come to the most profound sort of suffering, which is the suffering that arises because you think things are real and you are attached to them. The suffering of disillusionment or deception. And this is just an overarching super suffering because it pervades all of your life, whether or not you even realize it. And especially those who don't realize it are suffering even more because you keep getting attached to things. You get attached to your body. And through attachment to your body, you suffer dukkha dukkha. You suffer the suffering that comes with attachment to the body. Pain sucks if you value your body. And separation sucks if you value other people and things because things change. They don't stay the same. Everything you have, you will eventually lose. And this is all under the bracket of Sankara Dukkha, the suffering of this false belief that things are real, or more specifically that things are permanent. And this is the basis of the Buddhist metaphysic. You believe that things are permanent when in reality, nothing is. And so the particular, the Pali term that the Buddha used to describe uh, this attachment or desire is uh, perhaps a more precise way of rendering it is tanha. And so the answer, the way to achieve what was called a dukkha naroda, which is cessation of suffering, is to blow out the flame of desire, to stop craving things. Because when you crave things, you become attached to them, and therefore you suffer dukkha sankara. Yeah, the full cycle is actually you start sensations. And any sensation that occurs, you're going to form a judgment on it, good or bad. However, a good judgment or a bad judgment doesn't matter. You've still formed a judgment. And then from a judgment, you get an attachment, either a positive, I like this thing, or a negative, I dislike this thing. And then that intensifies as you undergo more and more experiences. And then you wind up with a lot of things you like, which will all disappear, and a lot of things you dislike, which will all come into being. And all of that is suffering. Yep. And the Buddha's big realization, the answer to all this, the way to stop desiring is to realize that none of this is real. It's all illusory. And that translates not just to suffering, but also to the self. Right. And so one of the doctrines of Buddhism is called anatta, which is the doctrine of no self. Which comes from the Sanskrit term Atman, being the soul, which translated into Pali becomes an Atta. Something like that. And then yeah. it gets the on, which negates it, right. I think, along those lines. Yeah, pretty much. And so, so then you might be wondering, well, there's no self, but I still think, because you are not enlightened, you still think that you are a self. You feel like you know you have a mind, a will, you're an integrated person. So what was the Buddha's account of this? Well, we have the five skandhas. Now, the five skandhas are, as was said, the the chain of suffering. And this 
chain of suffering is existence. And it starts with Rupa. And this can be applied to anything. Rupa is simply an outside event or translated a sensory experience. So, um, like... Say so you're walking down the street okay. and around the corner comes a seven-foot-tall, six-legged prismatic sheep. What? <laughs> let's, just, let's just say you're walking down the street. And, you know, you just had... Actually, this is a perfect example because you just reacted in shock, which tells me you've always moved. You've already moved through several of the skandhas. Then you're right. So here we go. Your giant six-legged sheep <laughs> comes shambling down the alleyway, looks you in the eyes, and a lot of things are going to happen real fast in your mind. You're going to have a, a vijnana. That's a horrible pronunciation. <laughs> that word. Perhaps it's more like vinana. Vinana. Let's go with that. Don't censor us. <laughs> okay. Uh, V-I-J-N-A-N-A. Just write that down. You have a sensation, and that sensation is probably abject terror, or if you're a biologist, confusion and probably interest. Or even, even before that, just the fact that your brain has registered the visual sense of sight. That's true. So this is, this is so basic that you don't even realize it's happening. So you've you really seen a thing. It. Congrats. It's a six-legged sheep that's just rotating through colors. Like if you named something Yeb in Minecraft. Yeah, we're pop culturally aware. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you have just perceived this terrifying, well, you have unholy... You have, yeah, it's, you have sensed this unholy amalgamation of animal parts and color. And now you're going to move on to sauna which is the problematic one. You're going to have a perception. You're going to have a reaction of some... You're going to perceive this in a way, and that's going to lead to a reaction. And the way you perceive it is going to be positive or negative. With our prismatic sheep, probably negative, I'd say. I think I would... I would imagine. I would imagine a negative response to the glowing rainbow sheep. Then again, we live in Santa Barbara, so there's a lot of weird stuff here. We can't make social commentary on this show. That's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> But you're going to have a perception, and the poly term for this is sauna. So remember that, sauna. This is the third skanda. And then your perception is going to lead to a vedana, a reaction. And in this case, you turn and flee from the rainbow sheep that is now charging at you at 90 miles an hour. Wow, this is a fast-moving sheep. It's got six legs, my dude. That's The more legs, the faster it goes. Yeah. That sounds like science to me. Yeah. Actually, six is kind of interesting because... The uh, the they the Buddhists believe in six senses. Apparently, there are six like variants of perception that are really beyond the scope of this talk. But oh, yeah, didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't realize that either until I was researching for this episode. <laughs> so, but I didn't bother to go into it. Anyways, you have a reaction and you turn and run in fear. Or if you're of the animal loving biologist sort, perhaps you go over and give it a hug. Or something like that. And you react. You act in such a way that would make sense for the specific uh, sensation and perceptions you've just formed. And then you get to Sankara. And Sankara is where the outside event increases. So perhaps you've gone and hugged it. Your awareness of this sheep has intensified. Now it's probably going to react to you, causing an ever-tumbling and snowballing sequence of moving through this chain more and, and flee, more rupa same thing. 
You keep having new events that keep happening and you keep sensing them and perceiving them and reacting and then it just snowballs. And this is existence. Yep. And you perceive things, you react to them, and then they intensify. This is all that existence is. And it actually does a pretty decent job of accounting for just about anything. Yeah. And so, so as we mentioned, the Buddha also adopted the idea of samsara. And while he said there was no self, he believed that these five skandhas are, do what's called transmigration. They form an aggregate yes. that is the pseudo-self. Right. So we perceive their aggregation as a self. Right. Incorrectly, according to the Buddha. And this is, once again, going back, this is the, the, the worst of the sufferings. The suffering of thinking this is all real and this is all it is. Because even though this accounts for everything, this buildup of outside experiences, which exist to some degree, sensations, perceptions, reactions, and intensifications, they are all in flux. Nothing ever lasts. Right. And in order to escape this never-ending chain of suffering, you need to stop the sequence. Now, the first two of the skandhas, rupa and vinana, so... Outside event and sensation. Yes. So that happens involuntarily. You cannot stop something in your environment from happening. You cannot stop your senses from registering it. However, the third, which I told you to remember, sana, the perception, where you form a judgment, that is where you can put a stop to it. And so the goal is to break perception by being non-judgmental and non-evaluative. So basically be stoic. Essentially. There's a lot of similarities between stoicism and Buddhism. That should be an episode sometime. It should. All right. Yeah. You gotta, as as Nathan famously said before this episode, kill the sauna to get the pana. Pana being the poly the term for... <laughs> get the bread. Pawn is bread. Thank you for listening to this episode of Welcome to the World of Religions. <laughs> no. So pana is the poly term for the wisdom of no self. So by ceasing the process at perception, you can achieve and grow in this wisdom that you don't really exist. Welcome to the world of religion. You're not real. And this is what makes Buddhism so darn interesting. And also confusing. (laughs) Yes, because almost every, uh, definitely every other of the big religions, which of course would be Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and Hinduism probably. Would you want to throw anything else on that big list? I'm blanking, which means we're probably offending someone right now. Yeah. Okay. You you (laughs) might have a religion that's on the list, not that you, that you, but it's not big. It's small religion. (laughs) It's not going to be on the top 10 religion chart. Well, we only mentioned five things, so maybe it will. It's not gonna be on the top five religion chart. Let's move on from this. Anyways. um, Yeah. Everything is going after an ultimate existence. In Christianity, you're trying to get salvation, eternal life with the Christian God in heaven, nor the new, the new earth and the new heaven in Islam. It's paradise in Judaism. It's also the, uh, you know, you would know more about this, but paradise, essentially. paradise, essentially in Hinduism, you're trying to become one with the universe. While it's not so much a, a place, a heaven, it's an ultimizing of your existence, sheer consciousness. You yeah. Can say. But in Buddhism, you're removing the permanent, the impermanence and the impermanence is the only thing that has 
being, even on a mental, on a physical, on really any level. However, all this existent stuff is what's causing your suffering. And so nirvana, the ultimate goal, is actually to stop existing entirely, to blink. Well, let's not get there immediately. First of all, this is going to go into some philosophy. Buddhism was very confusing because the Buddha was a wimp and didn't want to finalize his metaphysics. Uh, There are three interpretations of the Buddha's claims on nirvana. And basically, the Buddha said that the question of what you do after enlightenment nirvana was irrelevant and non-existent, which basically means he hadn't figured it out yet. Um, So the three interpretations are, A, a sort of eternalism, that after enlightenment, you go to a super reality. You're not real on a physical level or a mental level or even a super physical level. It's like an incomprehensible level of existence. The Buddha even talks about this. He says that once all ceases to exist, so does language. In a sense saying, you can't really talk about the beyond reality. And this has led some scholars to interpret Buddhism, even though it kind of is all about ceasing to exist, as just moving to a super existence. This is the eternalist interpretation. And Mm. this kind of got picked up by the Theravadas and the Zens, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's, it's hard to say for one of the reasons being that there are so many varieties, uh, even in Mahayana Buddhism, which we'll get to further definitions if, uh, you don't recall that from the last episode, but for example, there's Pure Land Buddhism in certain varieties of Mahayana Buddhism, and that seems to have a sort of heaven as the goal. Hmm. And then there's also the idea of bodhisattvas existing in a super reality. Right. But that's not full. Would you want to briefly touch on those? Sure. So bodhisattvas are Buddhist to be. Uh, they're recognized by. So there's one bodhisattva recognized by Theravada Buddhism, uh, who is Maitreya, and they believe he will be the next Buddha. Uh, Mahayana Buddhism has a whole host of bodhisattvas. So, Lots of them. Right. So also Maitreya, also Jizo, also Avalokiteshvara. Try saying that ten times fast. Yeah. Also Guanyin, so on and so on. And they're like super beings. They have decided not to be enlightened so they can help out us plebs get enlightenment. But not just us. Their oath is, the Bodhisattva oath is essentially, I will forego enlightenment until every other conscious being has become enlightened. So they're still waiting on flies, dogs, everything. Does the dog have a Buddha nature? Bam. Enlightenment. Enlightenment. (laughs) Yeah, so... The, and then there's also the, uh, the Zen Buddhism is doing a lot of physical things, prayer wheels that we talked about, automated, or that was... Tibetan Buddhism Tibetan Buddhism, still. Uh, Zen Buddhism also has, sorry, not Zen, yeah, I'm talking about Tibetan Buddhism here. Tibetan Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism, there's a lot of more stuff that goes on. And this, or Theravada Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism, there's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, this, this kind of led the Mahayanas <laughs> to an interesting... An interesting critique... <laughs> Because in Theravada Buddhism, there were a lot of outlined rituals and practices which you were supposed to perform, especially if you're a monk. So meditation, merit-making, so doing good karma, essentially. If you weren't a monk, you should give alms to the monks. 
and you don't have divine help, really. You're on your own. You've got to make this happen through self-effort. Yeah, but all this talk about self-effort makes it sound like there really is a self. And that's the Mahayana critique. Yeah, you're talking mad whack for uh, not having a self. I butchered that meme. Oh, well. <laughs> it's fine. So, and What were we talking about before we went on this? Oh, yeah, oh, the three ways. Yeah, eternalism. So that's one interpretation. Were you going to say anything else about that? Uh, I was going to talk about how Mahayana Buddhism intensified the voidness. But before we get to that, you should finish up eternalism. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that basically is eternalism. And that's kind of a minority view, but a modified view taken by the Theravada school, obviously. And yeah, then the other interpretation would be full-blown nihilism, which is kind of the weird one. Right. And so Mahayana Buddhism... Uh, and so demographically, Theravada Buddhism is much smaller than Mahayana Buddhism. Theravada Buddhism, well, Theravada translates roughly to the small vessel or the small way uh, as a result of not just its smaller number of adherents, but also the very narrow ways of attaining enlightenment. Yeah, it's a lot harder to do. There's a lot of stuff that you have to do. But right. this all, this, of course, led to the critique that Who's doing all this stuff? There's not a self. Right. And so Mahayana Buddhism really intensified uh, the teaching of the void. And the term for this was sunyata, which is Pali for void, empty. And it's the teaching that everything, even that teaching really, is non-existent. So even the Buddha, even the Four Noble Truths he taught, the Eightfold Path, it's void. They're just provisional truths you accept to help get your mind along on the way to realizing it isn't even a mind. It doesn't exist. And this is your happy afterlife. A complete lack of anything. So your afterlife is in fact a not life. Yeah, because you're a not self. And it's it's easy to see kind of where they got this because they're operating under the assumption that anything that... There's twofold assumption going on here. The first one being anything that is impermanent can't have ultimate existence and what can we point to in this world that's really permanent the wait for half-life three perhaps but that itself is nothing <laughs> but either way <laughs> i wasn't ready for that <laughs> anyways there's nothing that lasts forever and this is actually a foundational truth of quite a few religions except they would point to their ultimate reality their god or gods as that ultimate reality but here they kind of accept, yeah, there's nothing. They also neatly dodge the bullet of the problem of evil because no one's causing this evil. It just is existence. We've trapped ourselves in the cycle and it's all about getting out of suffering, which actually makes it quite attractive. The Buddha himself talks about when he was in his, as I jokingly called him a wimp, but it's really that he didn't care about what happened after enlightenment because his sole focus was to teach how to destroy suffering. That was his whole goal. He saw suffering in the world and he went out and tried to fix it through his philosophy. And whether or not he was actually enlightened, he developed a religion with lots of practices that deal specifically with counteracting suffering on a personal level. Yeah. And so while partly we're partly why we're talking about this is obviously because we love the quirks and the fascinating bits of religion. This is also what makes Buddhism such an attractive philosophy and religion 
even through to this day, because it acknowledges, yes, there is suffering. It is a major problem, really the biggest problem. And this is how we're going to attempt to deal with it. And it's also entirely immune to the athe- atheistic critiques, the, the logical problem of evil, because that always involves a super being, be it uh, uh, the, tri- the, the Trinitarian God of Christianity or the Islamic God Allah or the Hindu gods. There is a super being that should be able to stop suffering, but can't or won't. And that's the, of course... There are plenty of answers from those theistic perspectives, but that's the the essence of the argument. It's not an easy one to fight back against. Right. Whereas if you're a Buddhist, you can be a Buddhist and an atheist. It's a non-theistic religion. In fact, the Buddha himself believed that gods were like little children. He he talks about the gods, all the Hindu gods, as being quote-unquote real beings in the same way that what's even real. But uh, that they all looked up to the Buddhas and that they were just as impermanent just as flighty and emotional and and they suffered just as much as humans did which as far as the t- word god is concerned in the modern philosophical context that doesn't make them gods at all right they're n- non-ultimate yeah so there is your nihilism for the day and nothing you said there was a third perspective there right? is a third perspective called the middle way and this basically just goes off of the buddha's there are, were, are what call, are called the 10 unanswered questions at the end of the Buddha's teaching. And my referencing the Buddha's teaching is referencing a collection of works about the Buddha's teaching, because obviously the Buddha didn't write anything down. In fact, it wasn't written down for nearly 400 years, any of his actual teachings. It was oral for quite a while. But um, the middle way, the 10 unanswered questions go something like this. Is the world eternal? Is the world uneternal or impermanent? Is Will the universe continue going will it not continue going but the the main four are is the self after enlightenment eternal is the self after enlightenment uneternal is the self after enlightenment both eternal and uneternal and is the self after enlightenment neither eternal nor uneternal and the buddha himself is at least quoted in these works as saying no to all four questions Hmm. which if you're a student of logic or anyone with common sense you'll realize that the math doesn't add up there. You gotta be either one, the other, or both, especially when they're direct contradictions. Right, and so this is where we get beyond the pale of Western reasoning and logic and cross into uh, the exciting territory of a world that- Eastern philosophy. Eastern philosophy in general. But this is, it's- the Buddha, at least, or at least these writings acknowledge logic, but he simply said, like he said, when all ceases, language ceases. When all ceases, logic ceases. Everything we know to be real, suffering, which is in the end suffering, because everything will either break if it's good or it will come back to haunt you if it's bad. There's nothing that we can even conceive of. So what is the self? Well, it's not impermanent. That's what they say. There was uh, a brief exchange that the Buddha would use or uh, on his, with his people or the, the, the Buddha would use with his disciples. He would ask them, what do you think, monks? Is materialness permanent or impermanent? And the monks would say, impermanent, sir. What is imp- Because it all passes away. What is impermanent? Is it cause suffering or does it cause joy? It causes suffering. 
So how can the self be something impermanent, something material or mental or even spiritual? Because it's all impermanent. It all passes away. How can what I am be suffering when suffering is bad for me? And that's the Buddhist anti-logic as to why nothing exists. And even in the middle way, you, you kind of do wind up with nihilism. You just wind up with a different sort of nihilism that, and this is why Nietzsche kind of liked Buddhism because it worked with his, even if you take the middle way and say there's a, 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 an, a, a beyond reality, you can't even call it a super reality because that's super by definition maximizes. It's more, more of this, but it's not more of this. It's not better than this. It's so wholly other. It might as well be nothing as far as we're concerned hmm. with our minds. So that was their philosophical rant for the day. <laughs> Welcome to the world of religion and sometimes philosophy. Philosophy. You, you can't do religion without philosophy. It's just the way it is. I'll give it to you for now. Cool. cool. Actually, I, no, I do agree with you to some extent. Yeah. So if you're a Buddhist or if you think Buddhist teachings have any merit whatsoever on whatever religion you are, um, yeah, go in peace knowing that even if nothing's real, Stuff can still matter. Is that our cheery sign-off? Yeah. Basically, don't be an atheist. Be a Buddhist. If you lose faith for whatever reason, just become a Buddhist. It's way better. And be sure to get that prayer wheel we told you about in the last episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Automate those prayers. All right. Cool. Is that all? I think that's it. All right. Thanks for stopping by the World of Religions, and we'll see you next week.